Well, good morning, and thank you for tuning in once again to WNZN. Coming to you from our, um, actually from our office, but our station in Lorain, Ohio is the one that was going to send this message out. And we're, uh, it's a beautiful day it in is. the autumn, early Great autumn is. day in yes. Cleveland, Ohio, David. Yes, it is. I'm here with my good friend and assistant, David Aboon, and a special guest I'm going to introduce in one second. But if you're having any trouble getting our signal, as I always say, just... Uh, just live stream us off your iPad, off your computer. We actually do it with Siri, Dave. Do you ever do that? And we, yeah. we get a really clear message yeah. because I know our signal goes out towards Toledo. It goes south, and it comes in the some of the western edges of Cleveland. Yes. But, uh, anyhow, just go to your iPad or your computer, and you can just live stream us. Go www.wnzn.org. That's wnzn.org. Well, it seems of late, David, we've had a lot of guests literally from around the world yes we have what is it thailand yeah south africa morocco yeah. and uh another special guest today and uh i can't tell you how happy i am to introduce this man he spoke to our fellowship this morning at right. the center in westlake ohio i think we have maybe 150 men there yeah very very powerful uh, testimony how he came to christ the ministry god has blessed him with him and his wife liz with and before i start i just want to give a little introduction uh, about Ken Corco. Uh, Ken was raised in a ranching and rodeo family and entered the Marine Corps when he was 18 years old. He lived through the 77-day siege of Quezon, which was the longest and most deadly battle of the Vietnam War. When blown up, the two fellow Marines that pulled him out both thought he wouldn't live. Later, a doctor said, you may as well accept this. You're never going to walk or use your hands again. Ken married Liz while he was still at the military hospital, and neither of them knew how much Ken had changed. After his medical discharge from the military, the governor of his home state named a day in Ken's honor as the state's most highly decorated Vietnam veteran. Ken was awarded the Navy Cross and the Purple Heart, and for you that know military or even the adult, the Navy Cross is the second highest honor that our government, the American government, could give to somebody that served in combat right under the Congressional Medal of Honor. So it's really a privilege and a blessing to introduce to you, Ken. Ken, thank you for coming on board today. Thank you for coming all the way up here to Cleveland yeah. to visit Great us. Great to have you, Ken. It's a humble privilege to be here. My wife and I came to Cleveland to visit our daughter. She's a curator at the Cleveland Museum of Art, and through divine appointments, God arranged for me to be able to meet your group of uh, people this morning. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that opportunity. Wonderful. So Ken, you know, uh, I kind of read a little bit of bio and your um, military experience. Interestingly enough, David, that whole Vietnam War, I think at one time, uh, they had over 550,000 men in Vietnam, you know, total exactly. service. And, and uh, although I was, my brother was stationed in Vietnam with the 1st Air Cavalry, yeah. I was stationed in Thailand where a lot of the support bases were, but Ken right. was right in the heart of the action. Uh, when I refer to Khe San, uh, us from that generation realized that, as Ken said, that was like on the news all the yeah. time. I think the 77 days, because they thought it was going to fall. I mean, they were getting hit so hard, right. they couldn't get supplies in there. Ken was there, and he's going to share a little about that. He's going to tell his life story and, and how God really intervened in his life in an amazing way, amazing grace, and what God put on his heart and where he's at today in this tremendous ministry he's blessed with. So, Ken, I'm going to turn the mic over to you. Uh, David and I might have questions, but just share as you as you seek uh, the Lord guide you. Well, first of all, thanks for arranging this opportunity, and greetings to the listeners out there. I look forward to meeting you in heaven. But until then, we've got our work cut out in front of us. So I'm going to just share some of my story. And mm -hmm. what I hope you'll take away from this is just some, maybe some lessons that uh, might help you live your story. Um, I went to grad school and have an MBA. And out of the couple years that I spent and the thousands of dollars that I spent, I really came away with only one lesson that's impacted me. And that was very simply this, begin with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. Not just the end of when we finish this job and retire, not to the end of, you know, um, you know, uh, getting our kids through college, not the end of whatever. But when I stand alone before the Lord, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, for we all 
appear for final judgment, to be recompensed for what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. And so I want your listeners to consider, please, their ultimate end. Because at that point, the kind of car you drove, the amount of money in your 401k, your educational attainments, how your kids did in sports, that's all going to be meaningless. So let's go to the bottom line. The next verse says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. And I apply that in two ways, basically. I look at the wrath of God. He hates sin. And I see what happened at the cross. And you take a look. When when Christ is on the cross, the Holy Trinity is still intact. Mm -hmm. He's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue. But there comes that moment in time and I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God the Father took his son who knew no sin and he became sin. And I, for me, that's the tragedy of the cross. You know, for our, for our listeners out there, have you ever been laughed at? Yeah. Jesus was laughed at, not a big deal. Have you ever been lied about? Yeah, lots of us have been lied about, not a big deal. Have you ever been in a fist fight? Yeah, they beat up on Jesus. Frankly, not a big deal. Now, I know none of us have been crucified, but the Romans crucified a lot of people and we didn't build churches around them. Mm -hmm. So what was the big deal about the cross? I, I went into the Marine Corps with a good, solid, main denomination background. And I was told Christ died for me, so I ought to live for him. But I saw way too many guys die, both sides. Way too many guys die. And we didn't build churches out of them. And I look at, so what's the big deal about Christ dying? And here he is, the Holy One of God. And he's laughed at, lied about, beat up, hung up. But he's still talking to the Father and he's saying, Father, forgive them, they don't have a clue. But then there comes that moment in time where the wrath of God gets poured in to Christ. Mm -hmm. His God, the Father's hate of all sin, he gets poured in. And for the first time ever, again, as a kid, I was taught the Trinity three and one, one and three always was, always will be. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that anymore. In some incredible dimension, when the sin of you and me got poured into the holiness of God, the Trinity got shattered in some incredible way. Otherwise, the Holy Father and the Holy Spirit would have been contaminated with the sin that Christ was taking. And the wrath of God gets poured in. Christ had never experienced sin before. Mm -hmm. He never experienced separation from the Father and the Spirit before. And all of a sudden, this happens to him, and he becomes totally defiled with your sin, your sin, your sin, my sin. And in his humanity, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I look at the tragedy of the cross out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, God the Father took his son who knew no sin, and he became sin. That's a tragedy, but the triumph is that we might become mm -hmm. the righteousness of God. Right. And yeah. that's our real, true identity. And so as I start to consider that, as I start to marinate in his word, all of a sudden it totally redefines who I am. It starts to give me a new identity, which gives me a new purpose. And crazy as it is, as I start to walk out in that new purpose, which is way beyond my capacity, then I start to encounter his provision. And he does things that just blow my mind. Mm. I watch God do things that are I'm so incapable of. Isaiah 42, 8 and 48, 8, 11, he says, I'm the Lord thy God, that is my name. I'll not share my glory with another. And that's what he wants for each one of us. He doesn't want us to live these quiet little, get more head knowledge lives. 
He wants us to be about stuff so radical, so life-changing. Henry Blackaby said it well. Real ministry happens when you see where God is working and you participate with him. That's real ministry. And he's prepared to do things way beyond our comprehension, way beyond any resources we have at hand. And as we walk by faith in that, we keep going, wow, mm-hmm. wow, wow. It's so humbling. Um, I've got a ranch in South Dakota inherited about 20 years ago. And 540-some acres, we started out just bringing some people in, sharing life with them. And as it's grown and grown, last year we ran 1,770 camper days. We had to incorporate it as a not-for-profit 501c3. And our, our church insurance provider is Church Mutual, which is the nation's largest church and Christian camp uh, insurance company. And so one veteran spends one night with us. That's a camper day. 1,770. They come to the ranch. We don't have a marketing program. We don't have a donor development program. I mean, you think about how screwed up our churches and our Christian organizations are. We follow the ways of the world to build God's kingdom. That's, That's not biblical. Jesus is going to feed a thousand on a hillside. Does he have a budget meeting the night before? Does he have caterers on call? Mm -hmm. No, and his heavenly father then is our heavenly father now. And so as we watch God do stuff, nobody can say, look what Ken's done. Mm -hmm. It's more in spite of Ken, look what God's doing. Mm -hmm. I said to a friend of mine one time, I said, look, I know I have the personality of a mud turtle. And he said, don't say that. That's very demeaning to mud turtles. (laughs) So, again, my deal is I know that I'm incredibly incapable, that I'm incredibly weak. I know that, so I've got to marinate constantly in God's Word. I have to marinate. So I've got five devotionals that I go through every day, and I read a different Bible cover to cover every year. I've gone through probably 38 different Bibles. God blessed me. As a kid in high school, I was rated with 147 IQ, so I skipped some high school and went to college when I was 16. And, you know, God's now given me traumatic brain injury. Hmm. So my recall capabilities are Teflon coated. I am not damaged, I am in process of being transformed. I was talking with my friend Bob this morning who's about a gold nugget that you dig out of the ground. And if that nugget could talk, it'd say, look how I've been created. God made me this way. I am so cool. Mm. I am gold. I've got some dirt on me and everything. But this is how I've been created. But then the master craftsman goes ahead and takes that gold and says, I want to make a special ring out of it. And what does he do? He melts the gold. Mm. And if that gold could talk, it'd say, what are you doing to me? Stop, stop, stop. This hurts. Mm-hmm. Pours it into the mold. Then it has to have some sawing done to take those other marks off to burnishing, polishing. The master craftsman's doing that with each one of us. We want to holler, what are you doing? What are you doing? This hurts. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, I've got Parkinson's. I've got Agent Orange. I'm not damaged. I'm being transformed because God has a unique design for me. And if I tell myself I'm damaged and I sit on a pity pot, then I'm telling God you're making a mistake. He is not making a mistake. Every one of us has these different things we wish we could change. No, before we were formed, God ordained all the days of our lives. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Will I relax in that? Will I take comfort in that? Will I get excited even though it's painful about what he's doing? My friend Bob has a wife that's going through some very difficult physical times. Mm -hmm. And her response is absolutely indicating where her hope is. You don't know what something's made of till you stress test it. And now we're seeing stress testing. And it's not only impacting her, but it's impacting her husband, the whole family, all the people around. 
And here she is. I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, about verses 4 and 5. The God of all comfort who comforts okay. us in the midst of our tribulation, that we can comfort others in the midst of any tribulation. Mm -hmm. God doesn't waste pain. I don't care what you've gone through, what you're going through. Satan wants to be there in the corner reminding you, no, you're a failure. You're a screw-up. You're a sinner. Look at what you've done. Other people may never forget the kind of things you've done in the past. I don't care what your feelings are. Feelings are liars. You've got to hang your life on the fact of God's word. And God's word says we are new in him. We are being transformed more and more, conformed to the image of Jesus. Yeah, somebody, do you want to be like Jesus? Sure, I want to change the water to wine. I want to heal people. I want to go ahead and raise the dead. No, do you really want to be like Jesus, laughed at, lied about, beat up, rejected, abandoned by the very people you'd build into? Welcome to conforming to the image of Christ. That's what it's about. So will I keep my eyes on the Father and determine to stick and stay? Will I do that? Hmm. Ask me a question, I'm empty. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I read a little about your, your story, Ken. Can you tell us... <clears throat> Okay, you joined the Marine Corps, and then you, from there, I remember you said you go to Hawaii uh, for some more training, uh, and now you're going to go to Vietnam. How would, can you walk us through that, that process and, and kind of help our listeners get a picture of how that unfolded your life and, and, and move from there? And then, then I want your return from Vietnam, and then ultimately I want to see how you came to Christ. Yeah. Okay, well, again... I'm a smart aleck, workaholic. I bought a couple airplanes and never told my parents about it while I was in college. Um, I had a business while I was in college. I, um, you know, to pay for my flying. And um, Huntley Brinkley were on TV then as the news commentators. And they were talking about Vietnam. And it seemed to me that combat was a passage into manhood. So when I joined the Marine Corps, I flunked all my tests because I wanted to be an 0311. That's a grunt, a rifleman. I wanted to be in front lines combat. And hooray for those people who can't understand this. We're all created differently. But I wanted to see what it was like to kill a man. I'd been raised around firearms and lots of responsibility and... Uh, my dad was not a verbal teacher, but we were taught by his example, whenever there's trouble, you run to the trouble. You may not have a, an idea of what you're going to do, but you'll think of something because the quicker you can get there, the more you can eliminate the, limit the outcome. So raised with that kind of environment, that kind of genetics, um, I did not want to be a leader. I stayed in the middle of the middle so that I wouldn't stand out. Again, I just wanted to be an 0311 grunt rifleman. So I get sent to Hawaii, and I'm very, very disappointed because uh, I want to go straight to Vietnam. Mm -hmm. But in Hawaii, they took a special company, and we were being trained to come off a submarine at night, and they trained us hard. Now, as I mentioned this morning, uh, I view myself as not as capable as the rest of you. So before we would start our training day, I'd put a flak jacket on and I'd run four miles. Mm. Marine Corps taught us the more you sweat in peace, the less you bleed in war. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they trained us hard. I was raised not around lakes and swimming pools. We were workaholics as kids. And so the ocean was an unfriendly place for me. But I thought I was going to have webbed feet by the time we got out of there. I actually became a Marine during that time. We had spent a bunch of time in the ocean at night. And then we had an 11-mile hump coming back to our base at Kaneohe. And when I knew that my blisters had broken and I was walking in blood... <clears throat> And I watched other people dropping out, but I was not going to drop out. That's in my mind sort of when I became a Marine where I realized I don't have limits. I can do things way beyond what I've ever, ever imagined. 
finally that unit got broken up. I'd volunteered for stuff. I'd volunteered for Vietnamese language school. I thought, you know, the more money the Marine Corps puts in me, the more they'll want to get it out by sending me to Vietnam. When I found out that my unit was being broken up and sent in as replacements, uh, I went back to the company uh, captain and asked permission to leave Vietnamese language school and uh, and join my unit so I could go to Vietnam. They said, no, you got to stay here, finish language school. Then you're going to give me a promotion and I was going to stay and finish out my time training troops. So I went back to language school and a couple days later they called me in and said, look, here are your grades before, here are your grades now. You're right, you can flunk out of language school. Uh -huh. But How long were you there? I would have been 19 at the time. A year at language school? Yeah. That was a good school. Okay, I'm sorry, but I yeah. heard that was a good school. We were being taught to speak <clears throat> Vietnamese, and we were being taught how to make Vietnamese speak. Um, you know, you find three guys, and you take the guy who you think knows the least, and you wrap debt cord around their necks, and you ask the first guy a question, and if he doesn't answer, you blow his head off. You go to the second guy. If he doesn't answer, you blow his head off. Again, we had instructors that hated the North. Mm. They hated the North. The school was so intense, we had people speaking Vietnamese in their sleep. It was a very intense school. Wow. So <clears throat> they said, if you flunk out, you will not go to Vietnam. You will go to the Marine Corps brig. Now, I'd been on chaser duty. The Marine Corps brig was a very ungodly place. Mm. I was highly motivated. Finished language school, I came home back to South Dakota on leave, and you may remember George McGovern. Sure. World War II pilot, <clears throat> very, very against the Vietnam War. A very <clears throat> admirable man, a very honorable man mm -hmm. in many, many ways. He was a Democrat. I come from a Republican family. And uh, we had a U.S. senator that was a Republican, but I decided I'm going to talk with Mr. McGovern because I figured he could make things happen faster than anybody else. And here I am. I'm a nobody. But in South Dakota, everybody knows everybody. There's only about 600,000 people, and my family is fairly prominent. And uh, so I got Senator McGovern on the line and said, Sir, Ken Corco Blunt, South Dakota, I'd like to go to Vietnam. I'm being stuck in Hawaii. Can you help me get there? What, young man, do you know what you're asking for? You know, the stupidity of youth, I said, yes, sir. Took some information, said, let me see what I can do. I went back to Hawaii, reported in to my company office. They said, drop your bags here and go to battalion. There was a major waiting for me, and I reported in to him. He said, young man, do you know what you've done? And I thought, oops, boy, a U.S. senator really works yeah, right. fast. <laughs> I said, again, with the stupidity of youth, I said, yes, sir. He said, you're a short-timer. Do you realize to go to Vietnam, you've got to extend your tour? I said, I was not aware of that, but I'm prepared to do that, sir. He said, I figured so. Sign here. Was that 13 months? Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. <clears throat> so off I go. Get into Vietnam. Again, as a replacement, you're in a holding area. You don't know where you're going to go. And I got sent to a place called Quezon. I'd never heard of it. It had not been in the news. Yeah. <clears throat> and I thought, I'm going to miss the war. And I was really disappointed. Got helicoptered in, got off. I hear machine gun fire. I'm ready to hit the deck. No, it's guys just familiarization firing. <clears throat> and then the reality is the shit was about to hit the fan. And I'm telling you, all of a sudden, we went to living like prairie dogs in the ground. And I'd been really prepared by my ranch background. I'd been raised around animals and blood and hard work. And, and uh, so, again, I killed a bunch of people and held guys as they died and kept some guys from dying. But then there came that day when I lost two friends that I was close to. That night, through tears, I made a vow to never again have friends or feelings because it hurt too much. John, I know many of our listeners have had similar experiences, not in the military, but they've been damaged so much 
They've had to guard their heart. Mm -hmm. They've pulled back. <clears throat> I understand that. About three weeks later, I told to bring my men up and they were going out on a patrol. And I brought my men up and the uh, lieutenant said, uh, you're not going out. I said, they're my men. He said, no, you're not going out. They're going, but you're not. That didn't make sense to me. I begged him again, said no. I went to his boss, who was a captain, Ken Pipes, asked permission to go. You don't do this in the Marine Corps, but I did. I went to his boss, a major, and asked permission to go. I had a banker say to me one time, I'll bet you didn't take no very easily as a child. Um, you know, we watched those guys go out with a naked eye. You could see them. They got into an ambush. A young lieutenant didn't follow directions very well and went in pursuit of a couple snipers, and they walked him into an ambush. Forty-some guys went out, 27 were killed, everybody else was wounded. I've disobeyed a number of orders, mm. but to this day I'm still ashamed that I did not go out to help those guys. I'd rather been shot in the front, being shot in the back by some officer that didn't have the balls to go out wouldn't mm. have bothered me. But the shame of not being out there. So I still have to deal with that. I understand I'm not God. I understand God orchestrated every one of those circumstances, but I still have feelings I have to deal with. And I also understand, while well, I've tried to bury him at the cross, Satan knows at times when I'm vulnerable, he'll bring those up again and remind me. And my only hope is I've got to remind him of what happened at the cross. Yeah. That's my only hope. So those bodies were left out in front of us for over 30 days. Mm. Uh, the President of the United States had a sandbox mock-up of the case on combat base in the Oval Office. Robert McNamara was his Secretary of Defense. Those both men should have been shot for treason, personal opinion. We were not allowed to go help those guys. So I transitioned from very cold to very cruel and I became the very thing that I despised. If Satan would have had an A-team, I'd have had one of his jackets. I started to kill people we weren't supposed to kill. Plus, I did stupid things to kill the people we were supposed to kill. Because, again, I was ashamed to be alive. I was ashamed to be alive. I was religious, to my knowledge, without a personal relationship. Now, I can tell you when I came to Christ. Before the world was made, God wrote my name in a book, mm -hmm. a little book. The majority of people, Scripture says, are going to eternal hell. I don't know who they are, so I've got to play everybody like they're a 10-pound bass, and I've got a 4-pound line. Mm. I've got to work with everybody as though they may be one of God's elect, mm -hmm. but I don't know. But that's why I ask every morning in prayer audibly, because God's omniscient, but Satan's not. Father God, please give me divine appointments and keep the time wasters away. Mm. I want to build into those guys, and I'm very specific about who I want to build into. <clears throat> the, the parable of the soils that talks about some seed doesn't grow, some seed grows and dies out, some seed 30, 60, 100-fold. I don't have capacity for that. I'm 75. I'm VA, 100% disabled. Parkinson's, Agent Orange. Now I'm asking God, Father God, please give me Isaiah 60, 22 people. One shall become a thousand. Mm. Let me have those divine appointments, please. Like Let me please build <clears throat> into those guys. That's what you folks had in that room this morning. Those were divine appointments this morning. And again, I encourage you and our listeners to go ahead and ask God, please, Fill each one of us with his Holy Spirit and give us divine appointments. We don't need more head knowledge. We need to obey what we already know is true, the faith of a child trusting him for everything we're going through. So we went out. I'm told, I don't know that this is a fact at all, but I'm told it was the only time in the Vietnam deal where the order was given fixed bayonets. We went out with flamethrowers. We carried body bags. 
But all of a sudden, if you've ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, we're in the middle of it. And again, just a humbling, humbling experience to watch men risk and die for their brothers. It was just men, instead of running from the trouble, running to the trouble. Just very humbling to witness that. And so I, again, I was trained to kill people, and I was very efficient at it. I killed a bunch, then we started to take casualties. The first one I went after, I had a 45 pistol. I had a rifle. And when I drug him back, I left my rifle behind. I drug a couple more back. I left my pistol behind. I look like the village idiot out there in the middle of this war zone, and all I've got is my K-bar. It's a knife that the Marines use. And it was just simply to slit utilities, trousers, make tourniquets while some guy's in the process of bleeding out. And I'm a liar by nature. I'd come up to a guy and I'd just tell him, I'm a doctor, you're mm -hmm. going to be okay. And it worked and it worked. And then with one guy, it didn't work. <clears throat> and he's yelling, my leg, my leg. And I'm looking at him. His flak jacket's blown open. His guts are out. And I'm thinking, boy, his leg must really be screwed up. But he's yelling and screaming. I said, I'm a doctor. I shook him. I'm a doctor. You're going to be okay. And it didn't work, so I slugged him to, sh to shut him up. I pulled his leg up. And it's a crazy. I mean, war does this. They're just a little piece of shrapnel, probably about an eighth, of, uh, one eighth of a penny size. Must have hit a nerve on his ankle, on his left ankle. Yeah, he screwed up, but it wasn't his leg was a problem. And I drug him back. I'm going out after another guy, my lieutenant and his radio man are on the edge of a bomb crater. B-52 bomb craters are something to behold. You can put your car on top of your car and you won't see the top of any car in a B-52 bomb crater. And as he hollers get down, I turn to the left and these are sort of famous last words that'll make you smile. Again, with the stupidity of youth, I said, come out and enjoy the war. I was in my element. This mm -hmm. is what I was designed to do. Mm -hmm. Chariots of fire, the lead character says, when I run, I feel the yeah, pleasure right. of God. Right. No, when I run, I feel like I want to puke. You know, I'm, I'm not made as a runner, but I'm made as a warrior. Mm. And I was a warrior, a military warrior. What I'm asking God to do to everybody that hears this is instead to transform each one of us into his spirit warrior. Paul in Philippians 2.25 says, I'm sending you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. Brother is anybody who's born again. Fellow worker, hooray for the guys who do church work, fill the communion cups, count the money, mow the grass. But the fellow soldier, they're the ones that are out intimate with the Father. Mm. A fire team is the key element in the Marine Corps. Key element. I want you to imagine four people. They're each faced outboard. They've each got a rifle. And their, their total purpose is very simple. Accomplish the mission and get everybody home safe. That's their total purpose. And so if my rifle jams... I've got to be transparent to everybody else on the team. I just jammed. And instead of 25% field of fire, you're now covering 33% field of fire. You're covering. If I say I just run out of ammo, I'm putting my hand behind me. You may only have two magazines left, but you're handing my one of your magazines because oh. if we go down, we're going down together. I do not see that kind of fellow soldier in oh. the body of Christ. Yeah. We allow ourselves to be so engaged in worldly affairs. We allow ourselves to be so superficial. There's a war going on right now between the holy and the unholy. You don't have to wear a uniform, but Satan's after you, and if he can't get to you, he's getting to your family. He's getting to your people you work with. And in a moment or two from now, we're going to stand before the Lord and for final judgment. He's going to say to me, Ken, get out your checkbooks. Let's see how you stewarded those resources I entrusted to you. But way before he does that, 
he's going to pull out this unique list of relationships and opportunities. How did you steward those for God's eternal glory and the eternal good of those people I'm rubbing shoulders with? I am so sad for how people don't know the terror of the Lord and they don't persuade men. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. I am so sad for that. So boom, I'm turned to the left. He says, come out and enjoy the war. I say that to him. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, the closest 60 or 61 millimeter mortar shell, they were very smart. They used one millimeter larger than ours, so mm. they could use our ammo, but we couldn't use theirs. Mm. Now we outfoxed them. I, we'd captured a 61 mortar so I could use their ammo. <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, the closest round was about two foot away from me. The furthest one was about eight foot away. There was one in between, and it was just boom, 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 just like that. <clears throat> the killing radius on those rounds is 10 foot minimum. Hmm. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits, guardian angels, right. to protect those who will inherit <clears throat> salvation? Every one of those rounds should have killed me. I'm still on my feet, and I start to laugh. Again, the mind is so incredible. Three times separate in the case on combat base inside the wire, I had been knocked down by incoming artillery or rocket rounds and never had a scratch. Wow. And you guys know how Marines are. We're looking for some Purple Heart. Yeah, you know, yeah, how do yeah. I get a scratch and <laughs> look like a hero? Never a scrap, but mm. I am knocked down. I didn't jump down. There's other times I jumped down, but this time knocked down. Never a scratch. This time I know I've been greased and I'm still on my feet. Mm. The other thing that was ironic, and I, again, part of my laughter, they got me with the same thing I'd been getting them with, 60 or 61 millimeter mortar. The lieutenant came out of the whole ruddy complexion. He was drained. He just seen one of his good men get blown up. He said, "We'll get you back." I said, "No," because there was another guy screaming that I mm. was going for. I said, "Take care of him." I had no clue. I mean, I was totally ripped. I couldn't have taken two steps forward. You know, the I'd have, I'd have fallen forward. But so I've got a reluctant radio man on one side with a whip antenna, an officer on the other side, and me, the cripple. And for a good quarter of a mile back to a bomb crater, still outside the wire, we'd covered a lot of distance. We're walking through, again, this Saving Private Ryan fire. I'm convinced I'm going to have guardian angels kick my butt when I get to heaven, saying, do you know how much overtime we had to put in because of you? Right. I'm convinced so many of our listeners, if they would reflect on their own <clears throat> lives, would look at the times they could have, should have been wiped out in yeah. so many ways. Right. And they'll have to come to that same <clears throat> bottom line conclusion. The grace of God, guardian angels, a purpose beyond what we can imagine, designed for us. They got me back to this bomb crater, and they had a doctor and two corpsmen working on people. They were dead stacked up in that bomb crater, and they were wounded stacked up. And this lieutenant, Ben Long, grabbed that surgeon, he was an army, a Navy surgeon, spun him around and said, look at this man now. And uh, the doctor looked at me and said, do you need morphine? I said, hell no, you're trying to make a hippie out of me. Mm -hmm. You know, that's back during the days of the hippies and drugs. I started that process through military medical help. And I'm so humbled by how effective and efficient it was. Got to a place where they did some surgery on me. I said to the surgeon, please, rotate me to Japan, because I knew you could get blown up and get back into combat from Japan. They were my Marines. I did not want to leave them. They, I didn't want anybody dying on my watch. Hmm. Tried to get me to Guam, had to stop a whole plane load of blown up guys at the Philippines because I was hemorrhaging pretty badly. 
Finally got me to Guam. I'm there 17 days. There a doctor. He'd flunked bedside manner. He said to me, you may as well accept this. You're never going to walk again or use your hands. Mm. Then he walked off. A young lady came up. I, I don't know what you call them, candy stripers, mm. red cross. I don't know who she was. I wish I could find her and apologize to her. She came up and I'm laying in bed. They didn't use thread to hold me together. They used wires to hold me together. Mm. And she said, uh, would you like to write a letter home? Okay. She, she's got a little notebook. She said, well, who would you like to write it to? I'm engaged to Liz at the time. Oh, okay. I said, Liz. So she, this young lady's trying to prime the pump. She says, okay, dear Liz, what do you want to say? And all of a sudden it hit me. I'll be a cripple if I accept that I'm a cripple. I am not going to be a cripple. I'm never going to use a bedpan again. Hmm. And all of a sudden my personality just changed and so often when we're under stress, we go to commanding, not asking. I said, rip that up. Go get a clipboard and a long pencil. She goes off and she gets a clipboard and a long pencil. Comes back. Said, okay, prop up my back, prop up my legs, put a pillow there, put that clipboard there, the paper on it, put a pencil in my mouth and leave me alone. And I wrote that first letter to my fiance, and you could have never told that I'd just been told I was never going to be able to walk or use my hands. You could never tell. It was a lousy written letter. You don't do well first time with your mouth. Finished that letter. She sent it off. That night, when everybody's in bed, I, my left foot had not been blown up. Hmm. And I used my toes of my left foot and I kicked those, that sheets off. Again, you're in Guam and so all we got is a sheet over me. And that darn sheet kept catching into all those wires in my hands and I still got shrapnel in my head and shrapnel in my body. But uh, that was a painful process. But on one leg I could hop over to the head, that's what Military, we call the toilet now, or a bathroom. I had the dirtiest butt in the world, but again, I made a decision I was not going to use a bedpan. The next day, I had him get me a wheelchair. For some reason, my, my arms were helpless, but my thumbs worked. Mm. And a wheelchair and thumbs, man, you're <clears throat> mobile. Yeah. I was there for a total of 17 days. They are going to process me out night before uh, Army or a Navy corpsman has given me a shot. I said, what's this junk you're putting in me anyhow? He said, man, you don't know. They're giving you tranquilizers to slow you down. Mm. Oh, that's how it works. So <clears> I got <throat> sent to Great Lakes Naval Hospital over by Chicago. And I sleep less than the average person. So when everybody was in bed, I went to the fire escape stairwell, 15 floors, hospital. And I made a complete rotation. It was slow and painful. The next morning before anybody's up, I did another rotation. But again, I'm not going to be a cripple. And then I went through their rehab process, but they're not <clears throat> going to give me tranquilizers to slow me down. Got married while I was still in the hospital. Liz had no clue. I had no clue how much I'd changed. Liz had no clue. I had no clue how much I'd changed. Got married. Within four months, I started adultery. I medicated my pain with sex and materialism and drivenness. I medicated my pain by being successful. And I lied to myself. Mm -hmm. I kept thinking, if I can do this business deal, I'll be happy. And I'd do that business deal, then I'd go after a bigger one and then a bigger one. If I can just buy this next trinket, I'll be happy. And I'd be happy for two hours. And like a drug addict, I'd need another hit. Mm. If I can just get with the intimate with this girl, I'll be happy. Two hours later, I'm looking for somebody fresh. Again, I am so ashamed of the sin I've done. I'm, 
you got to realize when we sin, that sin's got to be atoned for. And it's the equivalent <clears throat> of going to a manure pile of depravity and pulling out a sin-encrusted nail and driving it into the holiness of Jesus. Even now, there's times I still sin. Acts In the book of Acts, three times Paul says, he tells the story, Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Present tense. And I want to argue with Jesus. Now you got your verb tenses mixed up. You should say, Saul, Saul, why is your sin today? That's which contributed to my sin that I covered at the cross that time back. Hebrews 6, 6 says, do we re-crucify Christ? If I don't sin today, that sin doesn't have to be atoned for. But if I sin today, that sin has to be atoned for. 1 Peter 1, 16, be holy as I am holy. God's standard is uncompromising righteousness. He knows I'm going to blow it. But he loves me and he covers it. But I look at it and again, I am so humbled that he can love somebody like me. I am so humbled at that. So the governor names a day for me as the highest decorated Vietnam vet, and I am just simply ashamed to be alive. I wanted to crawl in a hole. I got a master's degree in business administration. I have been a natural at only two things in my life, killing people. I'm very effective at that and selling farms and ranches. I got into the real estate deal. I've never sold a house. I love farms and ranches because you move the decimal point over a notch or so. <laughs> and I became a millionaire doing that. And I kept lying to myself, if I can do this, I'll be happy. And if I can do that, I'll be happy. And if I can do this, I'll be happy. And finally, I decided I'm gonna build a mansion mm -hmm. as a monument to my ego. And I, I wouldn't have said it that way. I'd have been surprised if you would have comforted, you know, confronted me with that. Let me tell you this. To my recollection, nobody ever came to me and care-fronted me. Nobody ever came and said, Ken, do you see what you're doing? Do you see where it's taking you? Now, I may not have listened to them, mm. but nobody came and said, Ken, your zipper's down. How so like the body of Christ today, that is. We don't want to get engaged. No, get engaged. Blow them out or blow them in, but confront sin where you see sin out of love, not to knock somebody down, out of love to bring them back to the holiness of God. So I'm working on building this mansion, and of course, because with PTSD, you want to control everything. I'm the general contractor. Mm. And I've got this plan in my mind, 4,000 square foot, shake roof, brick. That was my garage. The house was 6,000 square foot. Wow. You know, I spent over $25,000 on doorknobs. Oh. You gotta, I mean, that was back in what, 1976? You gotta be a doorknob yourself to do that kind of stupid stuff. But again, this was gonna be where I was gonna live forever. And where was that? What, what state was that? Uh, Pierre, South Dakota, right along the river. Gorgeous spot, okay. gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. Uh, you know, anybody else out there had a lot. I had three lots right on the river. You're not a believer now, Ken. Not a believer. Not a, okay. not a believer. I've walked away from God because he didn't live up to my expectations. And so I'm with this brick contractor, and he just made a trip to the Holy Land. We finished. It's probably about 9 o'clock at night. And um, my wife and our baby daughter were on vacation. I didn't do vacations. Mm -hmm. To my knowledge, and I'm a pretty good authority on this, my parents never once took a non-working vacation. Yes, they were depression people. They, they, they lived in a house the government wouldn't have allowed Indians to live in uh, because a house was a non-income producing asset. 
Dad had a, one of his semis going down the road was worth more than her house was worth. Okay, and so I had said earlier as a kid, I will not be like my dad. I became exactly like him in mm. so many ways. Mm. So here I am, I'm going to build this monument to my ego. And this contractor says, after we're done through the house plans, he says, Ken, I made a trip to the Holy Land, got some slides, you interested in taking a look? And I thought, okay, nobody's home waiting for me. I've done enough work for today. It's been a good day. And so out of my mouth, I said, yeah, sure. So he pulls out a Kodak carousel slide projector. Oh, and he <laughs> starts showing some slides on the wall of his apartment. And what he doesn't know is that I'd been through Bible school, vacation Sunday school, you know, all that kind of stuff, vacation Bible school. Read my Bible cover to cover twice. Wouldn't have made any difference anyhow, but he didn't know that. And so I'm familiar with the places he's shown me. And through the course of these slides, he says, Ken, do you believe in God? Yeah, you, you can't get creation without a creator. I mean, that's pretty simple. Uh, I said, yeah. And he keeps showing his slides. But truthfully, if you would have hooked me to a lie detector, it would have shown that I really believe there is a God. Just a couple slides later, he says, Ken, do you believe in Jesus? Born of a virgin, died on the cross, rose again. I said, yeah, I believe that. But if he would have stopped right then and put me in front of a firing squad, I still would have had to say yes. I've got two older brothers, so I got the, the Santa Claus deal blown out pretty early in my life. Don't believe in the great pumpkin. Uh, but Christ, yeah. A couple slides later, he says, Can you believe in the Bible? And I thought, I don't know who this guy is. When you've been through pain, you're, you're extra careful, cautious, yeah. suspicious. And I didn't know who this guy is. So out of my mouth, I said, yeah, I know the Bible's true, but I know you can take things out of context and prove about any point you want. Didn't bother him at all. He kept showing his slides. He gets another point. He says, Ken, what would happen if you were to die tonight? Heaven or hell? And, and again, I didn't tell him, but my mind immediately processed, okay, I've stopped <clears throat> killing people. I'm not doing as much adultery. I make a lot of money. I give a lot of money away to good causes. There's a lot of jerks out there. My company's doing stuff for clients that nobody else can even touch. Um, so out of my mouth, I said, you know, I don't know, but I imagine I'd probably go to heaven. He looks at me, he says, Ken, do you know that you can know? I got the deer in the headlights look. He says, let me show you something. And up to that point, I had not seen a Bible. Again, guys that have been in combat, they've got radar that the average person does not have. You, When you walk into a room, you're just assessing constantly. I had not seen a Bible. He pulled one out, opened up to 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, 12, and 13. You, as the Son has life, who does not have the Son of God, does not have life. These mm. things I tell you, in order that you may know that you have eternal life. For any of our listeners right now, if you don't know for sure what's going to happen when you die, then you don't have it. Bottom line, you don't have it. You'd better get with somebody and find out what Scripture really says. But for me, when he said that, I'm amazed at my response. I wanted to run. Again, I'd been taught problems run to the trouble. I've got medals for my chest showing I ran to the trouble. And all of a sudden, here's a guy, if he's lucky, he may get hired by me to do this construction work. But here's this guy, and I want to run from him. I don't know what he's selling. I don't know who he is. I don't know where this conversation's going. And he was very cool. He didn't try and slam dunk me, didn't try and push me. He said, Ken, have you got a Bible at home? I said, yeah. He said, if I write some verses down, will you look them up? I said, yeah. He wrote some verses down. I went home, pulled out a Bible. I looked up the verses, and for the first time in my life, it, friends, it was like doing a jigsaw puzzle. When you get a bunch of all those pieces of a jigsaw puzzle laid out, you've got some, you know, you put some corners in, maybe a straight line here that sort of fits, you think. and But pieces are turned around, flipped over, a couple have fallen on the floor. For me, all of a sudden, 
all those things that I'd learned as a kid, all of a sudden they just start to come together. Oh. And for the first time ever, I saw the holiness of God and my sin. And I got down on my knees and I said, God, please forgive me. I am so ashamed at what I've done. Now, I had accomplishments in materialism that a lot of guys would have given their left gonad to have. And here I am, I'm realizing it is nothing. Nobody was ever more sincere. Again, I knew about Paul on the road to Damascus. I knew about Daniel in the writing on the wall. I knew those things. And I waited for some kind of validation, acceptance, and I felt nothing. And the way I read that is, God will forgive sin, but I've sinned so much he cannot forgive me. And that night I did something that I had never done for 10 years because I'd made that vow to never again have friends or feelings. I was hell to be married to. For the first time in 10 years, I had tears. Because I was a man without hope. I felt God would not forgive my sin. That next morning, I did not go back to that contract because I didn't know him. I didn't trust him. Trust is so hard for us guys. Mm -hmm. The next morning, I called a guy who lived in Rapid City, 175 miles away. I tried to hire him into my real estate company. He was vice president of the field for the Federal Land Bank. They make land loans to farmers and ranchers. He had a skill that I didn't have. And I'd offered him more money, salary, equity interest in the company, put two years of salary and escrow, pay all of his expenses. I normally got what I wanted. Just find out the person's price. That next morning I called him and said, next time you're out here in Pier, I want to visit with you about this Christianity stuff. He said, sure. That rascal changed his whole schedule and drove 175 miles one way. And when I told him really what I've told you, the first words out of his mouth were, praise the Lord, because he'd been praying for me. And I thought, crap, he's a holy roller. (laughs) How old were you, Ken, at that time? I am 30 years old. Okay. Wow. I had never met, to my knowledge, a Christian that I respected. Either were out of control fanatics or hypocrites and liars, none of them successful to the level I aspired. The next words out of his mouth changed my life. He said, Ken, you cannot put your faith in your feelings. You've got to put your faith in the fact of God's word. And if you ask God to forgive your sin, come in and take control, he did that. What you need to do now is get into a Bible study and start to understand what happened. And if you're serious, there's a guy here in town who may be willing to take you through a one-on-one study. And again, I'm amazed at what I said. I said, yes. If I waste an hour today, I never have that hour again. Money's not a big deal. If I waste five bucks today, I'll get another five bucks tomorrow. But I've always been time-sensitive, purpose-driven. Always. I'm sorry, but... As our hour comes to a close, as this program starts to wrap, I think we have a couple minutes left. What do you want to share with our listeners now who are believers and unbelievers and curious and hear your story? What do you want to leave them with? There's a war going on, more serious than any military conflict on the face of this planet. There's a war going on between the holy and the unholy. And your greatest defense, your greatest offense is get daily into God's word. Seek the Lord Jesus Christ through his holy word. Begin with the New Testament. Start in the New Testament reading, asking God, what does this say? Then asking, how am I going to apply it today? Your life maybe has not accounted to much for eternity, but you still have life. And when you have the spirit of God in your life, God can use you to change you and to be an agent of change into this fallen world. Your best days are ahead of you if you go ahead and dig into Christ. I'm a zero, but zero plus God equals God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That applies to you too. Get into God's word and rejoice. Very few Christians finish well. They may write big checks. They may sit on boards. 
but don't be one of those that when asked, what have you seen God do, has to tell something 10 years ago. Be so intimate with the Lord that he overflows his spirit through your life. And I'll look forward to meeting you in heaven. Thank you very much, Ken. Dave, do you have any words to say? That oh, was it's hard. I, I just, I didn't want to ask any questions. Yeah, right, right. I just wanted to keep listening to the yeah. story. <laughs> well, Ken. Ken, that thank, was great. Thank you very much. Thank what you a for blessing. coming. Yeah. And everyone, uh, you can hear this show, of course, but it's going to be archived. Again, you can go to john1421.com. That's www.john1421.com. And look on the left-hand side, and you'll see the title, it could be Vietnam War Hero or War Hero to Christ. We'll have the title there. And Ken, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. May God continue to bless all that you do. And I'm just going to close this in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together with Ken. I thank you for all the men he spoke to this morning, including me and David and Bob. Yes. I you, pray, Lord, that it's not what he gave us was transformational. It's not just information, but it was transformational to, to each one of us should examine ourselves to see, are we about the work of the Lord? And as Jesus promised, if you will abide in me and my word abides in you, you will bear much fruit to the glory of our Heavenly Father. Continue to bless Ken, his wife Liz, his children, his work, his ministry, and these people that are coming to his ranch, that he helps both physically, spiritually, emotionally. Bless the works of his hands, Lord, the work you've entrusted with. And I do pray, Lord, you give him a long life, give him good health and strength and uh, as he continues on this journey. That started so long ago, Lord, but continue to bless him that he in turn can be a blessing, blessing to many, many people in the days ahead. And we pray all of these things for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ken. Well, thank you.